0: Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical-free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Well, I'm an emotional mess. I've never been touched so much by that song except to try to sing it, actually, after studying this text. So, I might need a tissue if someone's got one down there. Good morning, Journey Church, and welcome to Advent 2023. Advent, I explained last week, comes from a Latin word which means coming. And as it's expressed and experienced in the church over the centuries, it carries with it the idea of hopeful, expectant waiting. And we wait for the coming of the return of the king. I would like to just mention that there are those in our congregation whose waiting is more difficult and more painful than others. And for that reason, I want to just open up an opportunity. I can think of about three to four individuals or family units that are in profound crisis, financial crisis. And uh, we could certainly just write a check from the church, but I think I wanted to open up an opportunity for discipleship, that if you'd like to make a contribution over and above of your normal contribution, we certainly know who needs that in our community of faith. This actually follows on the heels of Blessing Whitmore Elementary School and the bags that we put together for uh, the kids in Good News Club. The scripture says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and that is those outside these walls, but then the Apostle Paul would go on to say, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So there's an actual priority for those who belong, and that we would take care of our own, and so I want to invite you to do that if you'd like to, to give a generous gift, um, the way you can do that, I believe we're opening up the porthole on our website where you can give toward benevolence. Or if you're making out a check, just write in, in the memo or if you're giving online, write in there a note. This is for benevolence, okay? Good. Hey, uh, I ran a few more times this week. If you were here last, last Sunday, you know what I'm talking about. I ran a few more times in Sabino Canyon. Um, my Wednesday run was much farther than last week. This time I ran all the way through the nine water crossings, all the way up the final hill, into the end and back, all the while looking for signs of water. I know we got rain a week ago, and I just wondered if perhaps the creek would be filled with water, and all I could find were a few stagnant huddles not enough rain we're still waiting for the rains to come sabino didn't flow all through monsoon and all thus far through the fall and the beginning of winter and this describes once more our journey of faith and it describes our season of advent yes we are awaiting the return of Christ. At which point he will flood this world with living water forever. In the meantime, so many of us have so many issues in our life that we're praying about, that we're wrestling with, that we're groaning over. We're calling on the Lord for an answer to our prayers and for our daily bread. And we wait. Some more acute or acutely than others. In our congregation, we're waiting upon the Lord to fulfill his promises to us into this world. This can be difficult. And what we saw last Sunday in studying the historical account of a priest named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, that even the most committed and sold out to God can fall into a season of despair and even what is described in the text as unbelief. Zechariah was struck struck and fell into something called cynicism. There's another pitfall, however. That's not the only pitfall that comes to those who are in a season of prolonged and intense waiting. The other pitfall is something That is expressed in our grumbling and complaining, our pouting, which points toward an attitude of entitlement. And at the bottom of entitlement is the sin of pride. These are the two pitfalls. As we wait on the Lord and answers to our prayer and wait for his return. I had at least two conversations this week. Individuals struggling with the Lord and how patient he is. And why does he not put a stop to all the pain and the suffering in this world? What about the children in Israel on both sides? What about wars and innocent people suffering? Where is God? When will he say enough and put a stop to this kind of suffering? And again, in the midst of that kind of confusion, these two pitfalls, he's probably not going to do anything. It's going to continue on as it always was. And if he's going to return, it likely will not be in my lifetime. And on the other side is, God, how dare you? What about me? Why in the world, what's wrong with you? Why will you not answer me? Look at all that I've done for you. Look at all the the bad things I have not committed. Why does God not answer my prayers? Pitfall, cynicism, unbelief, or entitlement, And pride. And here's the thing either one will take us down, either one will take us out. This morning, we get to look at a beautiful example of an individual that walked the narrow path between these two dysfunctions. Her name, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in order to get a running start, we're going to pick one verse from last week. ...to get us into this week's text. So Luke chapter 1... ...beginning in verse 38... ...because it really sets the stage... ...for what we see here... ...in so many ways. It says that Mary said... ...and this is in response... ...to the angel Gabriel's message to her... ...not only announcing... ...that she was going to conceive... ...without knowing a man... ...and that also her... ...aunt... Elizabeth was already pregnant. She, who had been called infertile for her whole life and now well beyond the years of childbearing, has now conceived. And this is what we read. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then it goes on into verse 39 And those days Mary arose. And went in haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She arose and went in haste. She leaves at once. Immediately following the announcement of Gabriel to her, Mary takes off on this journey. And she shows up in person to her aunt and uncle's house. With no previous warning. There's no telegraph, no telephone, no Facebook. And she is the first to arrive, and Elizabeth has no knowledge of her coming. It's in a city in the hill country of Judah. And what we know about Zechariah and his wife, they are of the priestly line. There were priestly cities. So this is a priestly city in the hill country. Of Judah, And that really comes down to one of two options. It's either Hebron or en uh, And it's not important which one of those priestly cities in the hill country it is. Because you see, both of them are 80 and 81 miles away from Nazareth, respectively. So either way, Mary is going on a very, very long journey journey to visit her aunt Elizabeth, she would have been exhausted. This is what happens when she shows up, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Elizabeth hears her, sees her, greets her, Now six months pregnant with John the Baptist, her unborn child does a backflip in her womb. She certainly knows the sensation of a kick or a punch as women in their second trimester know. But this was different. This was unique. And the baby leaps within her womb. Uh, just hit pause for a moment because I need—I absolutely need to touch this. We need to understand that a six-month-old fetus is a full human being, not a potential human being. This unborn child has a name. He has a destiny. He has a ministry. He has a personality. He can recognize the the, the presence of Messiah in the womb of uh, of his mother. He is able to express complex human emotion. He actually begins his ministry of announcing the coming of Messiah right there in that moment. And then in verse 44, it actually says that he leapt for joy, a gushing forth of praise. This six-month-old child that does not breathe air yet. This is John the Baptist. Not only does he do a backflip in his mother's womb, but she is filled with the holy spirit. This is interesting. What is that? Well, we need to understand clearly that the ministry of the uh, of the holy spirit to old covenant believers was different than what we now have as new covenant believers. Where do I get this? I get this from the words of John the gospel writer and from Jesus himself. It says in John chapter 7, and if you remember the context, it was on the last day of the great feast. Jesus stood up and he said, anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me. And out from among him will flow rivers of living water. And then John would add this note. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what is this? And what we discover is old covenant believers were filled in moments. In order to give prophetic words or do mighty works. Elizabeth has this filling and with no prior information about her niece Mary or what the the angel Gabriel had told her Elizabeth instantaneously knows things that no one could know except by the spirit of God and we read she Says in verse, it says in verse 42 that she exclaimed with a loud cry. She cannot contain it. It is the presence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. She exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Key word, among, not above. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is, not will be, but right now, blessed is the fruit of Of your womb? And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, as wonderful and holy as Elizabeth was, she recognized her need for a Lord, for the Lord God in her life? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt. For joy. You'll see the word there a couple times, blessed. And there's actually two words for blessed that shows up in this passage. But we see the, 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 the first two or three occurrences are eulogao. Where we get the word eulogy from. It means literally to speak well of. But in the context, we see that it is the declaring of a blessing. She is invoking a blessing upon Mary and invoking a blessing upon the fruit of her womb, or declaring the fruit of her womb to be blessed. Mary is in the spotlight, but not so much as that which she carries in her womb. In her womb was the tiny first trimester, fertilized egg, Of the God man himself. She was carrying in her womb Jesus Messiah, and she was the first to receive him. We read on, verse 42 again Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb le- leapt. Verse 45, and blessed, this is the second word, different than eulageo. Blessed is she who believed. The word here is makarios. And what this word for blessed means is a state of being fortunate. Well off or happy. And we see here, and this is a, a direct Parallel to Zachariah's unbelief. And that he would be mute because he did not believe what God had said through the angel Gabriel. But Mary, instead of doubting, instead of embracing a kind of cynicism, Mary believes in that believing God and God's promises leads to a state of being fortunate, well off, or happy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love what the Puritan Matthew Henry says in this case. Blessed souls, or should I say, believing souls are blessed souls and will be found so at last. This blessedness cometh through faith, even the blessedness of being related to Christ and having him formed in the soul. Mary is having him formed in her womb. All of us have the opportunity to have him formed in our souls. And in so doing, we too can be blessed. Mary was blessed because she believed. Believed that God's promises are true. But we not only see a supreme example of Mary as a woman of faith, there's something else in this text, in what is about to follow. Something else that I would say this passage is literally dripping with. Let's see what it is. This is what has been called the Magnificat. I have no doubt that perhaps Mary herself was filled with the Spirit in this moment as well. As she begins to just pour forth this hymn of praise. She says in verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembering of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. So in addition to faith, I said, this passage is also dripping with another quality. Can anyone guess what it is? It is humility. It is humility. The antidote, the antidote to entitlement, pouting and complaining, which at the root of all of those has this dysfunction called pride. Dripping with this quality, humility. Humility in this text, when it shows up the humble estate of your servant, it's the word tapianos. It means literally not rising far from the ground. And there are two, two ways that we can look at this, or two uh, contexts in which we can understand. This word, not rising far from the ground, first off, is circumstantially poverty, neediness, marginalized, neglected, and forgotten, and powerless, and voiceless. The other is a kind of spiritual humility that is an attitude that acknowledges. One's position before a holy and perfect God as having need for forgiveness, need for righteousness that one does not possess on one's own. Now, interesting that spiritual humility many times seems to follow circumstantial humility. But this is not always so. Some of the most spiritually proud people that I've met have been some of the most circumstantially humbled people that I have met. That in their neediness, they should be very lowly in calling out to God and as claiming nothing in and of themselves. And yet, I've seen this strange wonder. Some of the people in the worst circumstances, the most offended, indignant, uh, triggered, prideful, and insecure souls that I have ever met. I've also seen the converse. I know individuals multi-millionaires who have run entire companies and brands and exalted in this world's eyes. I've seen some of them t- terribly prideful. But I've also, and I know some, who, and I can't know their heart for sure, I cannot guarantee that it's not some kind of Christian act, but for everything that I can discern, they are profoundly spiritually humble what we know for certain is that Mary possesses both kinds Mary is in the sticks Nazareth is where the country bumpkins live she is impoverished She's a girl in the first century, female. She's betrothed to a poor carpenter. We know that they are impoverished. When they go to dedicate Jesus on the eighth day, instead of the usual sacrifice, they offer turtle doves, which was the sacrifice to redeem the firstborn, that is allowable by the poor. In so many other evidences... For Mary's circumstantial humility. But along with her circumstantial humility, we see this beautiful illustration of spiritual humility, not rising far from the ground. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to reread the last verse from last week's text. I want to take you back there when she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The word for servant there is doulos. Feminine form of the word doulos. This was the lowest ranking servant in the household. So much so so that they were owned. It literally means to be put in chains. And she takes this title upon herself before the Lord. This is the same word that the Apostle Paul would use in Romans 1.1. The masculine form. The bond servant Of the Lord. And this title suggests great humility before the Lord. And you can see in her response that she also has a readiness for obedient service, which should be true for every man or woman of God, for every believer, for everyone that would say, I am a Christian. That this title and this posture is so fitting. The title of a servant or a slave, but something that I want to just just offer you in this, and then get into her song. Um, if you very few bulletins out there, we our printer broke, but you can get them digitally. But you'll see up here. What's what's the idea? What's the takeaway? The humble know and understand not only their position before a holy God, but they understand their desperate need for God in their life. Instead of being self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-righteous, these are the ones that know and acknowledge their need, and we see this in Mary's hymn of praise. Look back to verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. But then watch this, verse 47 and 48. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then she repeats what she said, or what what she said to Gabriel. For he has looked on the humble estate, that's the word tapianosis, not rising far from the ground, of his doulos. His humble servant. Now we've gone over. The humble estate or humble state and the servant word. But did you notice what she said about the Lord? Mary calls him, quote, God, my Savior. God, my Savior. Mary understood, believed, and fully acknowledged that she needed a Savior As much as the rest of us. Yes, she would be unlike any human being in the history of the world before or after. She and only she in all of human history would have the privilege of carrying the Son of God in her womb and giving birth to the Son of God himself. Mary would have a key part in the fulfillment of the first telling of the gospel that appears as early as Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15 is the first telling of the gospel where the Lord says to Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise, actually it's it's the, the his, Uh, telling to the serpent, where he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The word there for offspring is seed, seed. In the Greek, sperma. And the fascinating thing is the woman has no sperma. So this is hinting at the immaculate conception. And that it's through the seed of the woman through which Messiah would come, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And Mary gets to be that person. What a privilege she had in being the mother of the Son of God. But for all that privilege, listen to this, Mary demonstrated a greater satisfaction in Messiah as her Savior than she did in being his mother. Mary is delighted in God, her Savior. The humble know and acknowledge their need. Secondly, only the humble will be blessed and lifted up. Only the humble. Look back at verse 49 through 53. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. That word for mighty is the idea. God protects and fights for his children. That's a theme all throughout the scriptures. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. This word for holy is unique or set apart. Verse 50, his mercy, his mercy. Do you need mercy? It it means the holding back and the refraining of an expression of wrath against those who deserve wrath. His mercy is for those who fear him. Those who fear him, reverence him, respect him, know their position before him. That is the humble. That's who gets the mercy. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart, the antithesis of the humble. Get scattered by this God. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty. God is the one who is mighty. Those who posture before him as being mighty. God takes pleasure in saying, nope, not you. That's bad for you. It's bad for everyone else around you. I will now dethrone you. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. That's the word again, not rising far from the ground. God is the one that picks them up from the ground. And then verse 53, has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. And in this context, it's not that you have assets and resources. It's a kind of self-sufficiency. These kinds of people he has sent away empty i want you to look at the attributes or the 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 benefits and blessings this by the way psalm 103 psalm 40 so many other passages of scripture that it seems that mary is very familiar with and are just gushing out of her in this in this example but listen to the things that god does for the humble he does great things for those who are humble of heart. He demonstrates mercy upon them who are humble. He exalts the humble of heart. He fills them with good. And Mary would say his mercies for those who fear him for generation to generation that when God gives mercy, when God lifts up, when God exalts, it goes on in perpetuity for all eternity. Whereas the blessings of being in this lifetime, powerful and wealthy and famous and known and included and, ex- and invited, pass away the moment the party's over. Wow. This God who is mighty, whose name is holy, whose arm is strong, this God who scatters the proud, bringing down the mighty, sending the rich, the self-sufficient away, honors those Humble in heart and dependent upon him, and that is what Mary's Magnificat teaches again and again and again. Can I tell you, this is one of the number one most retold truths throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation? I've said it, I there's 18 sermons in this text. And there's, there's supporting texts all over the place. This story, this, this reality, this truth about the humble and the proud and how God interacts and who who gets saved in the end, who gets forgiven, this is told and retold and retold and retold throughout the pages of Scripture. For instance, we have Jacob, Jacob the rascal. Jacob is betrayed by his uncle Laban. He's terrified of Esau. He is bruised and pummeled by The angel of the Lord, and then God uses him and raises him up. Leah is barren and unloved, and she is the one first to conceive of the wives of Jacob. Joseph is betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, falsely accused, forgotten in Pharaoh's dungeon. As low as you can go, and then exalted as the prime minister of the entire world. Not his own doing, all a gift of grace. Gideon. Gideon says this in the book of Judges. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Oh, you're it. I'm going to use you, Gideon. Jephthah. Jephthah was the bastard son of his father and his, his brothers who were conceived of a marriage... Drive him out into the wilderness. And yet, he is the one that is called back to deliver Israel in Judges chapter 11. Hannah, Hannah, the, uh, the mother of Samuel, she was barren. And the scripture says in 1 Samuel 1.6, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And it's the Lord who hears Hannah's prayer and gives her a son a great son, the the final judge and the great prophet, Samuel. And then there's David. And I heard this in Ken Martin's pastoral prayer. Psalm 2710, David said, My father and my mother have forsaken me. When Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, seven sons were brought before him. And his father didn't even think about the eighth, didn't even, didn't even cross his mind. Samuel had to say, is any, is, are you sure this is all? Oh, wait a second, there's that other kid. And yet David, the throne of David, Jesus, the son of David, Mary, of the line of David. David. The is told and retold and retold and explained throughout the scripture. Psalm 113, 7 through 9. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. This story is worthy of exalting our God. He undoes the pride and hubris of the prideful man and he raises up those who are broken before him. Psalm 138, 6. For the Lord, though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs three thirty four. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also... With him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Jesus of Nazareth, later on in his ministry, would say these words, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And right here in this text, what Mary says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of, of humble estate. Matthew Henry again says this God takes pleasure in disappointing their expectations, who promise themselves great things in the world, and in outdoing the expectations of those who promise themselves but a little. As a righteous God, it is his glory to abase those who exalt themselves and strike terror on the secure. And as a good God, it is his glory to exalt those who humble themselves and to speak comfort to those who fear before him. By the way, it's just the best thing for us to be in a state of spiritual humility. And I don't don't care how prepared you are. I don't care how, how much stockpile of resources you have that you fear before him and go, in a breath, it can be taken away. My whole life, no matter what I have, this stuff doesn't even matter. But my whole life depends on him. And yet, what do we see in the world of unbelievers is stockpiling and hoarding and, and uh, trying to game the system and trying to manipulate. And then if, 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 if it works and you get the titles and the platform and the following, there's a sense of, of accomplishment and pride and hubris, which is that arrogant speech that comes out of The self-satisfied person. I think it was Queen Elizabeth that might have said um, that was grateful that even kings and queens can bow the knee. That this does not preclude the rich, the famous, and the powerful. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. He's saying to the church in Corinth to consider themselves, and that God called them, and he goes on to say, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And it was Queen Elizabeth that said, She was thankful for the M, so that instead of not any, it just says not many. Why? Because she loved the Lord. This is the God, this is the God who works mighty things for the humble. Only the humble will be blessed and lifted up. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what it means. Recognizing your need and position before a holy God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, not will be, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What this leads to is gratitude and joy. And you see this outbursting and this joy this exuberant joy coming out of Mary. The humble are marked by gratitude and joy. I want you to reflect quickly. I think Mary understood perfectly the challenges that she would face as an engaged teenager to Joseph. She understood the misunderstanding that she would live through. In fact, it came so close that Joseph almost divorced her. And he actually had to have a vision in a dream. He had to have an angelic visitor saying, don't freak out, Joseph. This is of God. But then this accusation would dog Mary and Jesus of Nazareth throughout his lifetime. In John 8, 41... The Pharisees make this, in, in arguing with Jesus, they say this. We were not born of sexual immorality. We're not bastard sons. We have one father, even God. And I think that that's, that's clear, that this rumor had followed Mary and Jesus throughout their lives. But instead of complaining or worrying, Mary receives this as a badge of honor. Instead of complaining and pouting, and can't you do something to clean this rumor up that exists to this day 2,000 years later? Instead, she just gushes forth with this humble, expressive gratitude and joy this is found in verse 46 mary said my soul magnifies the lord this word for magnifies in the greek is megalano it means to, to make great to deem or declare to be great to esteem highly or to celebrate my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices this word for rejoice it's a compound word in the greek uh, agan, which means much And then, alamai to leap or to spring up, to gush out, much gushing out. I'm magnifying and and exalting, but I can't contain it. Emotionally, I'm about to burst, is what is coming out of Mary. And what is at the bottom of this is a statement. I've never found him so great or so good as I find him right now in this moment. An attitude that says, God, you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing, yet you have done great things for me. And my heart is overflowing with an emotional response of joy and gratitude. This is the humble. This is the evidence of the humble. Great joy. Now, we've looked at Mary. We've looked at Mary. Much of this narrative is about her and her story. But here's my question for today Who is the most humble in this passage? Who is the most humble? The one above and below and around this whole passage. Who is the most humble? Who is the hero of this text? Who is it? The God who is mighty, the God whose name is holy, the God whose arm is strong, the God who scatters the proud, the one who brings down the mighty and exalts those of humble estate, the God who fills the hungry with good and sends the self-sufficient away empty. It is this same God who stepped down from heaven to become a fertilized egg in the womb of a poor, obscure Jewish teenage virgin. The hero of humility is Jesus the Christ. Someone once said, and I couldn't find the source, if we really honor and revere Mary, we will allow her to be our teacher. And what she teaches is her son, not herself. Mary is pointing to her son, Jesus. From now all generations will call me blessed. Not worthy, not meritorious, not co-redemptress, but blessed. Blessed by the God who condescended to meet her where she was at, to fill her womb, the same God who condescended to meet us where we're at not where we should have been. And Mary is blessed because she gets to be the first recipient of the new covenant of grace. She is the first one to receive him physically in her womb. It is Jesus, son of God, however, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, son of man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the humble hero of this text. And he is not only our redeemer, he is also our exemplar, which means our example. This is what the Apostle Paul was writing to a very dearly loved group of believers in a city called Philippi. And things are going really well. There's some conflict in, in going on in the church in Philippi, two, two women that are at each other's throats. But it's in Philippians chapter 2 that he says, hey, y'all, I want you to excel more and more in in loving and and the the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you and and the, the benefits that are in Christ. Have this attitude within you. And then he uses the illustration and example. It's one of the most profoundly theologically rich texts on The incarnation, but it's supposed to be our example in how Paul uses it. He says, have this this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped in the languages, to be held on to at all costs. The second person of the Trinity didn't say, heck no, one of you guys go. He actually said, I'll go. He didn't grasp it, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the hero of the text. This is the hero of the incarnation Most kings come in a great display of glory and expect everyone else to die for them. This king came humbly in order to die for us. Who is this God who would condescend? Who is this savior who would come for us? Who is this Lord who would fill an unworthy virgin's womb? Who is this king who would die? Born to Mary, born through Mary, born for Mary. But born through Mary for us, so that by faith we also might have him as Savior too. Here's the bottom line, and then we're going to have some guests come and sing for us. Here's the bottom line. The humble king, Jesus the humble king blesses the humble who wait for him we just read from the apostle Paul that God chose what is low and despised in this world to bring to things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human may glory in his presence this is a kind of humility that is demonstrated by our children by our friends with disabilities But it's for every single one who understands their position and their need before a holy God. Do you know that? Because this is for you. Jesus is for you. Jesus came for you. Won't you receive him like a humble child? Those of us who have received him, we have a long way to go in this journey of humility And these are the final words by the Apostle Peter when he says in 1 Peter 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, and he's quoting the Old Testament, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Don't wait for him to do that. Do what he says here humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so at the proper time he might exalt you because jesus the humble king is the one who blesses the humble who wait for him amen father we have a long way to go to look at mary in her faith a teenage girl but then not just her one who is circumstantially humble and lowly. But Lord God, you who condescended, who filled that young teenager's womb, who left everything he had behind to be born into this world, to walk our streets, to breathe our air, to eat our food, to endure the penalty of sin for us. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess one day that he is Lord. And Lord, we would like to be exalted along with him. So today, we humble ourselves. Modeling after his example. Make us a humble people here in the midst of the foothills. May that be our hallmark. Wow, we've never met such a kind gentle, joyful, humble people. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.